Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Get your Bibles, go to Jonah chapter 2. Uh, Jonah chapter 2, if you didn't bring a Bible, uh, there is one in the pew rack in front of you. It looks like this one. Uh, go to page 1,452, and you will find Jonah chapter 2. Uh, Jonah is a series we're in. We're calling it um, I Am Jonah because uh, there's a lot of uh, Jonah-like tenden- tendencies in us. Uh, we aspire to, uh, to be like some of those heroes of Scripture, and that's a good thing to aspire to be like that. But the re- it's also a good thing to remember that uh, we, can, we can learn from, um, from the mistakes of others, and specifically, we're learning from, from Jonah's story. A couple weeks ago, I had some RTI students who were coming over for dinner. We were doing some, some prepping. We were doing a mock exam for their licensing interview that they were going to have the next day, and or for their, for actually for their exam here at RTI, and prep for that licensing exam. And uh, as I was kind of busting home pretty fast, trying to get there on time, I pulled onto my street uh, pretty fast, and as I was, I was kind of zipping down my street, I saw that there was a police car in the middle of the road. So I slowed down. And, um, and then as I got closer to those cars, there was you know, more than one car, there was a couple cars. In fact, there was three police cars, and then there was, I think, three more um, unmarked police cars. As I got closer, they waved me around, and uh, there were officers with bulletproof vests on, guns were drawn, um, and they were surrounding one of my neighbor's homes. And, um, and, and, and in fact, when we got in the home, in the home there's actually an officer in the backside of the house and uh, this, this neighbor of mine, I'll just say his name's Brian. I, was, I, I know Brian. I've met him. I've had some conversation with him. I know that he runs a small business. It's a mortgage business. Uh, in fact, we were talking one time out in front of his house, and uh, when I asked him what he did, he told me that, and then he asked me what I did, and I told him I was a pastor, and he got this big smile on his face, and he said, I'm a Christian. I go to what, you know, this other church, and I said, that's great, and we engaged in some conversation. We've talked since then. We wave at each other. We're driving down the street, um, and, um, and so when I was pulling into my house, I was like, man, what is going down at his house? We found out from one of the neighbors that he had been accused uh, of, of fraud with his mortgage business. And it impacted the lives of some others. And, and from what I understand, uh, some people have lost their homes due to foreclosure because of that accusation. And um, I, was, I was just, man, I was just thinking about him. I was thinking about him and his wife and how that has impacted, undoubtedly, their relationship as well as kids. And, man, when, when you blow it, it's just that how it impacts others. In fact, Jennifer talked to us about that last week in Jonah chapter 1. That when we run, we oftentimes, it's not just us that we're hurting. In fact, we end up pulling others into our pain, as Jonah did with the sailors on the boat. Think about it for a moment. They throw him overboard. They've lost cargo. They have to throw him overboard. And then they got to live with that on their conscience for, for the, the rest of their lives. They, they, they probably don't have a New Living Translation. Or they don't have a New Living Translation to pick up. Oh, that's how the story. That's interesting. They don't, they don't know that. They're living with this idea, the weight of an idea that, that they played part into someone's death, maybe, maybe murder. And so Jonah's failure has just sucked others in, and I'm wondering about my, my, uh, my neighbor Brian and, and what's going on there. And not only just the, the horizontal relationships that are impacted, the vertical relationship. He, he told me he was a Christian, and I, I believe he is, but he, he, he blew it big time if, in fact, these accusations are true. And I'm wondering how he's doing in re-engaging with God. 
How's it going? And reconnecting with God. In fact, I'm just going to put this question on the screen because uh, it relates to the story. How do I pray in the midst of failure? When, when, you, when, you, when you blow it, when you fail, a spiritual belly flop, whatever you want to call it, just this, this huge public mess. When you're found out, when the secret pops up and then suddenly everyone, everyone knows that uh, the real you has, uh, well, it's been hidden. You've, you've sort of put up this front about who you are. How do you pray? How do you re-engage vertically? Obviously, the other, in, other relationships are impacted. But how do you reconnect and re-engage with God when you blow it? For example, maybe you're unemployed and you've been looking for a job and you've shared with your small group this, this job that you need and, um, and they're praying and, and you apply for a job and you get a call back. You come in, you fill an application out and they ask for a resume. And so you prep a resume, but you spice it up a little bit. You didn't really graduate from that college, and you didn't really work for that nonprofit board, and those achievements aren't really your achievements. But it's got you a little bit farther in this, in this process uh, of, of employment. In fact, you're down to the final, too. In fact, you're the one chosen. And you, 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 you give the good news to your family that you got the job, and, and then you, yeah, you give the good news to your small group, and they're celebrating, and they're praising God, and then you're working. It's about a month in, and your boss pulls you aside, and the deception has been uncovered. And, um, and not only are you seen for who you are, you actually lose your job, which means you got to go back to your family and you got to go back to your small group. How do you pray? How do you reconnect with God in the midst of failure, failure like that? Or perhaps you've been struggling with pornography for quite some time and you've been, you've been doing a pretty good job of hiding it. Every once in a while, someone wonders what's going on and you've got a story, you've managed it and you've kind of wiggled your way out of, of being accused and being found out for your struggle with pornography. But the day comes years later where you can't wiggle your way out, you're caught red-handed, you're busted and suddenly it, it, it's, it's revealed the mess that you are in and shame like a Mack truck just runs you over, stops and backs back over you. I mean, you are at the lowest of lows. How do you pray in the midst of that kind of failure? Or maybe you used to struggle with alcohol. You're six years clean and sober now. I mean, you know the triggers. You, you, you know that community is huge. You know that as long as you stay with your friends and you stay, sometimes it just helps to stay local that you're doing okay. But right now you're in financial stress. I mean, there's, there's some significant stress. And stress is a significant stress is a, is a trigger for relapse. You're out of town on business and you're in this financial stress and you're in one of those moments where you just say enough is enough and you buy the bottle and you drink it and you wake up in the morning and you feel like, you just, I, just, I just blew off six years of hard work and I'm a failure. In those moments, how do I pray? How do I reconnect with God? How do you pray in the midst of failure? Failure. And I just want to say to you, Jonah chapter two answers that question for us. Jonah fails. I mean, if anyone should get it right, it should be a prophet, right? If anyone should, should get this right, it's a, it's a prophet. It's Jonah. He should get this right, but he doesn't. He fails. And we get to chapter 2, we see him praying, and, and, and in this prayer, we will learn how to answer that question in our failures. Maybe it's something from the past that's still, that's still hanging over you, over you. Maybe it's something you're even hiding today. Maybe it's something that'll come up in the future, but how do we pray in the midst of failure? So I just want to read for us Jonah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read all 10 verses. Follow along with me if you would. 
Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You, you threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates lock shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then verse 10. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach, which had to be about an amazing experience as being swallowed by a great fish. <laughs> How do you pray when you've blown it? How do, you, how do you pray in the midst of failure? How do you re-engage? How do you reconnect vertically? There, there's consequences, natural consequences to our horizontal relationships, to our families, our spouses, coworkers. But how do I, how do I re-engage with God? And we're just gonna dive in here and just take, take the first thing that pops up here. And the first one is this, is, is don't listen to this condemning voice. It's coming. Next one. There we go. Don't listen to the condemning voice. You see, what happens when you, when, you, when you mess up and despair starts to drown you, what happens when you mess up is, is, is that, that voice starts saying, as, as I mentioned before, is you're not, you didn't just screw up, but you're a screw up. You didn't just mess up, you're, you are a mess. You didn't just fail, you are a failure. And the condemning voice wants to speak to you and, and give you this sense of that there's no more hope there is no hope. You've hit rock bottom. You've done it now. It's a mess. There, there's no future. And um, in fact, that's Jonah's kind of alluding to that when he's in this, in this prayer. He's talking about sinking down to the roots of the mountain. He's talking about entering in the land of the dead. Verse 2 says, I call to you from the land of the dead. Verse 6 says, I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates lock shut forever. In the ancient mind, the understanding was is that when you died, you went into the underworld and you entered, you entered the land of death and and, and remember Dante's Inferno on the gates? Abandon all hope, all you who enter here. This is a place, when you're at this moment, there is no hope. Abandon hope. And yet what we, in this condemning voice, is that, is that, that those thoughts come that we need to remember. Verse 1, then Jonah prayed. Verse 2, I cried out to the Lord. Verse 2, better news, he answered me. Friends, in our mistakes, in our failures, and when we blow it, if Jonah gets to pray, we get to pray. Which means there's a sliver of hope, which is why Jonah is praying in verse, uh, in verse five. He's saying, uh, you've driven me from your presence. Yet, actually, verse four, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. You gotta get what Jonah's saying here. I'm, I'm buried beneath the wild and stormy waves. Lord, you've driven me from your presence, yet I'm gonna look towards your holy... You know what he's saying here? 
Maybe, maybe, just maybe, after all I've done, after all the mess I've made, yeah, yeah, I blew it. Yeah, the failure is public. It's everyone knows. And, but maybe he will listen. Friends, the condemning voice will say to you, you do not have the right to pray. Yet scripture teaches us that in fact, God is actually taking us to, he takes Jonah to the rock bottom place so that he will have a conversation with him not to abandon him. And could it be that in our failures, could it be that you're here today and you're in the middle of of a failure and what you're thinking to yourself is, I don't have the right to pray, and could it be that God has placed you in this situation so that you will have a conversation with him? So right after that, how to pray in the midst of failure? Don't listen to the condemning voice, the voice that says, you don't have the right to pray. You no longer have access, or now you've blown it, and now there's no hope. Because if Jonah gets to pray, you get to pray. We get to pray in the midst of failure. Here's the second thing that I I would say to you. Thank God for exposing you. Thank God for bringing you to a point where where the sin has been exposed, where you've been busted, where you've been caught. Thank him for that. And, And here's the deal. Jonah has run. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah has says, we'll discover in chapter four, I'm not going there because I don't want those dirty, rotten scoundrels to experience your grace. So I'm gonna run. He runs, and he thinks he's getting away from God. But what happens here is that Jonah realizes that God went after him. In fact, Jonah says... The, sailor, the sailors didn't throw me in the water. The sailors didn't throw me in the ocean. You threw me into the ocean, God. That's what he says in his prayer. God, you threw me overboard. God, you chased after me. You threw me overboard. You sent that great fish. You had me swallowed, and you're going to have me spit up on the... He doesn't know this yet, but you're going to be spit up on the, on, the, on the beach. God, it's you. You have pursued me. And wouldn't it be the worst news ever if in our failure... God gave up on us. Wouldn't that be the worst news ever? That in our horrible messes, the guy would say, well, cross the line, that's it, I'm done. But that's not our God. And so what Jonah does is he, he maybe God will hear, he, he prays, and then he thanks God for exposing him in his own sinfulness. And really, an interesting verse, uh, I think it's verse eight, where it says, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. Jonah's at a place where the only person he has is God. That's all he's got left. And really, verse eight is the turning point for Jonah. So you're not, at, you're not at rock bottom if you're still trying to manage and message the mess. When you're trying to kind of dictate how this is going to be presented to people rather than owning your stuff. You see, you're, you're not there yet. You've still got, you got an idol of pride. You don't want people to know what a mess up you are. Jonah's there. All the idols are stripped away. And don't think for a moment that you won't get sucked into someone else's failure and God won't use you getting sucked into someone else's pain as a way to expose your idols. Because it just doesn't have to be you and your failure. It could be someone you're very close to. And God exposes all that. He exposes our idols and makes it so all we have is him. And we remember that and thank him for that. The third thing I'd say to us, 
is just tell Jesus that he's the only one who can save you. Uh, verse nine, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Jonah is at a place where he, he knows that the only way, the only way he's going to experience salvation here is if God does something. It's his only hope. And so he cries out and turns his face toward the Lord's holy temple and maybe, just maybe, God will rescue. And it's at this point in the belly of this great fish where this weird thing happens in verse 10 where the Lord orders the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. And here's the irony of the story. Here's the satire in the story. It's that a man who withheld grace from others, a man who said to God, I'm not going to those people. Those people are a mess. Those people are wicked. Those people don't deserve your mercy, God. They don't deserve your compassion. I'm going the other way. And God chases after Jonah. He has sailors throw him overboard, sends the fish, swallows him up. And now he's being spit out on a beach because Jonah has now praised, prayed, you know, God, if you can save me, salvation belongs to you. And he spit out. And now... The prophet who wouldn't extend mercy and grace to a people that were wicked is now receiving mercy and grace from God, and he doesn't deserve it. Now he's ready to preach because now he's experienced God's grace. Grace is a hard word to kind of get your head. It's hard to understand this. It's not mercy. it's, It's undeserved favor. Um, One author describes grace this way. It says, grace is favor given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. It is cosmic hospitality. You don't let just anyone into your home. When you choose to let someone in, you meet their needs. If they are thirsty, you get them something to drink. If they're cold, you turn on the heat. Cosmic hospitality is that God lets you in, all the way in, but you don't deserve it. He accepts you. Years ago, at the Oscars, the Best Actress Award was being given out, and, uh, and it went to Sally Fields for her part in the movie of Places in the Heart. And uh, she, she comes up onto the platform, and everyone is standing, and everyone is clapping, and there's a standing ovation. She gets behind the podium. She has her Oscar in hand. Tears are running down her cheeks, and people are still clapping, and they're cheering, and they're shouting for her. And it's this moment, and, and she just speaks in real candor. She says, You like me. You really, really like me. What is she saying? I finally made it into the inner circle. I finally, but you've accepted me. You've allowed me in the inner circle. And where that illustration breaks down is that she's had to earn her way into the inner circle. But with God, friends, he lets you in the inner circle and you did not earn it. You don't deserve it. And he's not obligated to let you into friendship with him and let you into his inner circle, but he chooses to do that very thing. That's grace. And Jonah is finally experiencing it even though he was withholding it. Now, why don't you go back to that, that story I, I, I told you at the very beginning about my neighbor. And, and you know, he's, he's in jail right now. Um, I, I don't know if the accusations are true. But if they are, I wonder how loud that condemning voice is. I just wonder how loud it is. I wonder if he thinks there's any hope. I wonder if he's at a place where he's thanking God for exposing him. I don't know. 
I wonder if he's at a place where he's saying salvation belongs to the Lord. Lord, you're the only one who can get, out of this, get me out of this mess. You're the only one that can restore my relationship with my wife, with my kids. I, I, don't, I don't know how loud the condemning voice is. I don't know if he's thanking God for exposing me. Maybe, he, maybe he's trying to manage a message. I, I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, is that when he cries out, there will be hope. Because there's a God who has mercy. He lavishes his grace and mercy on us in the midst of our huge messes. As long as all the idols are stripped away. And I wonder what's going on. And I wonder, as we look at Jonah, here's this guy who finds himself in the belly of a great fish And the reason he's there is because he's withheld grace from people he didn't think deserved it. Here's my question for us. Am I withholding grace from anyone? Are there people in my lives, in my life, in which they've messed up and and they don't deserve it? Will we give undeserved favor? We feel, even though we're not obligated to, will we give undeserved, will we extend hospitality? Will we extend favor to those who don't deserve it? A lot of years ago, when our kids were younger, Trina were raising our kids, I don't know what you think pastors' kids are like. Um, they're not just normal, they're dangerous. Uh, <laughs> our kids were just normal, and, and we, our kids are great, and we love who, who they are and how they're, how they're growing, and, and, um, but they're very normal. They did stuff that was wrong. They got in fights, and they accused each other. And I remember this one moment where um, there was a fight going on, and, and Trina was trying to resolve it, and, um, and it was getting louder and more intense. And, I w- and, and she gave me that look and recognized the look, and I, so I turned off ESPN and, um, <laughs> and got involved and... Um, and and so she goes, you know, it's kind of, you're it, you give it your shot, and I'm there trying to work, and it's, it's just not getting resolved, and they're chucking accusations at each other, like spears, and the volume is up, and so I don't know, dude, I, so I put one in one room, and I put one in another room, and I, I'm just walking the hallway, I'm just trying to figure out, what am I, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna figure this out? And so finally, I don't know what, this idea pops in my mind, and so I knock on one door, and I knock on one other door, and I get the kids out of the room, and I tell them, go get in the car. And they look at me, and they kind of slowly walk out to the car. And, and then I go grab my coat, and, and I'm a little bit behind. They're already outside, and I grab my keys. And, and Trina looks at me and says, where are you going? Where are you, where are you taking them? Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I, I looked at her, and I said, I'm, I'm taking them to ice cream. And I remember the look on her face. She's like, ice cream? I don't know, grab my keys, I head out the door. Start the car, kids are asking where we're going and I'm just not saying anything, but I I do drive very slowly by the police station. (laughs) Remember that? (laughs) Pull into Dairy Queen, turn the car off, and the kids, kids say, Dad, what are we doing here? We're having ice cream. They're trying they're trying to figure out what, what, okay, what really is going on. Get out. 
I start walking to the, they're behind, they're coming behind me, and I could see in the reflection on the grass. They're, I mean, on the glass, they're on, on the front of the Dairy Queen. They're, they're looking at each other and trying to figure this out. We walk in the Dairy I'm still trying to figure it out. We walk in the Dairy Queen. <laughs> I order a peanut butter parfait, because that's what I love to order at DQ. And they're struggling to know what to order, because they think Dad's going to poison it, <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, we order ice cream. We sit down. We eat ice cream. We don't even talk about the conflict back of the house. I don't even bring it up. Um, we just talk. We try to engage in conversation, and I'm trying to ask questions. And we eat ice cream, we go home. Things have calmed down. Um, and, um, and Trina's like, Where, where'd you go? And DQ had ice cream, took it. Did, did you resolve the issue? No, never even talked about it. And I could see by the look on her face, and maybe by the look on your face, some of you are parents, you're going, won't they fight more so that they can go have more ice cream? <laughs> Isn't that the same question Paul asks in Romans 6 when he's talking about grace? He has, he's having a fictional argument with somebody. He's trying to explain grace. He's trying to explain faith credited to us by sheer, the sheer mercy of God. Listen to what he writes. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Should we just keep on blowing it so we get more ice cream? When you're at rock bottom and you experience grace, you don't want more ice cream because what you have just been given blows your mind. I was talking to someone earlier and they were telling me about how they spent seven years in prison and when they came out of prison, the grace and the acceptance, even that hope, that they were so thankful that they hit rock bottom that they literally said to me, I, I wish everyone could go to prison for seven years. So I bless you with that. <laughs> what he's saying is, I know what it's like at rock bottom. And when you're at rock bottom and all you have is Jesus, and when you hear words of hope and words of acceptance from him, let me tell you, there is nothing like it. Nothing. So here's the question for you. Are there people in your life that you are withholding grace from? Jonah is in this situation because he has withheld grace He's withheld grace and favor from people because in his eyes, they don't deserve it. Is there anyone in your life in which you're saying, they don't deserve grace. They don't deserve me being kind to them. They don't deserve. They don't, I know that there are situations in life in which there do need to be boundaries, that access must be restrained. I get that. I, I know that's the case. But many, many times what we do when someone hurts us, we don't like the way they behave. What we do is we punish Aren't you glad that God didn't do that with you? Then we need to be a people who don't withhold grace from each other when we fail. Because, friends, it'll happen. We'll make a mess. But what good news it is to be among a people who deal with the consequences and don't just, you know, pretend that it, it wasn't a huge mess and don't just sweep it and deal with it, help you walk through the consequences, but also invite you in and offer you cosmic hospitality because that's what God does to those who call out to him.
Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and I just want to ask you a question. What names pop into your mind when I say, are you withholding grace from anyone? Is there anyone you're withholding grace from? Now, as, as those names and faces are there, now, now here's another question for you. What is Jesus saying to you? Jesus, I know that there are people in this room um, who have failed. They've made messes. Now, there's people in this room who are in the middle of it, and, then, and it's, it's a secret right now. Or in, in the future, there, there might be some failure that takes place. We, we ask and pray that you would lead us not into, into temptation. You would deliver us from the evil one. But Lord, for, for those who have failed or uh, it's a failure that's still hanging over their head, I pray that you would silence that condemning voice. We thank you, God, for exposing us. We thank you that salvation, it only comes from you. You own, you, you have salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Thank you for being so kind to us. Help us to be a people who freely, freely release and give grace. Give us wisdom of what that should look like. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for lavishing your grace on us and inviting us in to your inner circle, for accepting us, for saying to us, I like you. I really, really like you. You are good. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.